So hello everybody. This is this is Week Notes uh, Instills podcast. This is the second instance, and uh, I'm Ryan, and we're joined today by Matthew and Neil. Neil made the cut from last week. I obviously did a good job, uh, and we'll see whether he gets back next week again. Not likely. Does that mean I replace Garth and Eamon now? Because that's intimidating. Yeah, that's it. You have replaced both Garth and Eamon. I don't know karate. So you need to talk about swords and Windows machines and whiskey. Oh yeah, they're all the things I love. People know me, uh, whiskey and swords. Okay, <laughs> enough of those things. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so it, it feels like, given that we've got Mr. Apple on the call, uh, that we, we should at least talk about the ARM Macs that were released this week, even if only to say they're excellent and you should all buy one. Uh, yeah, so I assume Neil's Mr. Apple on this podcast, so uh, go ahead, Neil, and sell it to me. Yeah, so, so don't buy one. I think it's a waste of money. Much like anything Apple releases, the first generation is completely pointless and it's just there for fanboys to get missold and overpay. That was brutal. That was absolutely <laughs> savage. Um, but uh, I do think there is some truth in that statement. I think a lot of people were underwhelmed by what Apple announced. I think the technology is amazing. And I think that it probably is a good decision for Apple to make. But in reality, they just dropped a new processor into the same body as has been sold for probably the last five years, which I guess is a little yeah. disappointing. But at the same time, like as programmers, like how hard is it to refactor a huge project? Can you imagine having to refactor a processor out of a production line and a product and replace it with something else? Like just imagine the effort, engineering effort behind that, I think should be applauded at least, even if you hate Apple. If it works. Yeah, if it, if it works. I mean, I was doing some research today. This is actually the third architecture transition that Apple has made in their lifetime. So they started as Motorola, moved to PowerPC, then to Intel, and then now to ARM, which I think if you're able to pull it off, you know, for the third time, it's pretty good going. It is impressive. Yeah. And it is, as they like to use the word, brave and courageous. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it is probably the right direction for them. But from a developer point of view, unless you're developing for iOS, I feel like they're going to lose, like they already are kind of losing that hardcore developer audience. A lot of people don't like the pro laptops for pure development. I think this is going to just further that along and they're going to lose that market share, which is a lot of, yeah. those are kind of the strongest advocates for Apple have always historically been is developers and they're probably going to lose that with ARM unless they do some really good stuff. In reality, what difference does it make to us writing, like if I'm writing Python code, it doesn't make any difference whether it's running on ARM or, or Intel, really. At the code level, there's not a great deal of difference is there it's not like it's not like we're, we're big endian and little endian coding shifts that we need to think carefully about stuff at some point it has to be converted to that though and the tooling is all built for x86 so you're basically binning all that tooling or you have to write some kind of layer between it and that's not going to be efficient it's not going to be fast and the developer experience suffers because of that like even there's all the people complaining that Docker just doesn't work. And that's obvious. Of course, Docker's not going to work. It's not built for it. So you're going to have a lot yeah. of legacy issues of just, and it's the same probably, same problems when they moved to Intel. Though I don't think they were as big in the developer crowd. Um, I, I hope that they're used to it. I hope they make a really good layer, but there's no, emulation is never perfect. There's going to be a lot of issues, especially if they go really hard on it, which they probably will, because that's what Apple does. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah, the thing that I would worry about is, um, obviously, we're testing our code locally uh, quite a bit, unless you're doing some serverless stuff. 
which we'll just not talk about because um, it might make me even more angry. <laughs> but you know, I think one of the things that sort of gives you comfort, and maybe that's a, maybe this is a false sense of security where I'm testing this in x86 and I'm also deploying that to a server somewhere which is running on x86 hardware, albeit most likely virtualized in some way. Yeah. If you look, if you go on to AWS, you can obviously spin up some ARM-backed instances, but uh, the maximum size you can go to is 32 gigabytes of RAM and 16 cores, which for a lot of projects might not be enough. A project I'm currently working on, that wouldn't be enough for sure. So it seems that there are little baby steps for now. But I mean, what you, I guess what you could do is if you're building it on a, on an, if you're building a, an app on, a, on an ARM chip, you could just deploy it to some kind of ARM hardware as well. If that gave you some kind of yeah. solace. But yeah, I mean, for the yeah. virtualization side of things. So um, there's a tweet that mentioned where somebody was talking about, it's just about retaining and releasing an NS object, which is the like the base class for all of Objective-C and Swift code. It all sort of boils down to an NS object. And on the current generation of Intel, it takes 30 nanoseconds. And on an M1, it takes 6.5 nanoseconds, which is pretty huge. But then the fun fact is, if you've got an M1 that's emulating an Intel chip, it takes 14, so still twice as fast as running it actually on the on the real hardware, which I sort of confuses me as to how it can emulate something faster than the real thing. <laughs> and obviously, there's a really small, this is a really small piece of the of the Apple puzzle. You know, we're right at the at the base, and you know, does, does that actually yeah. translate to all the all the apps being faster? I would doubt it. I think maybe it's like a Volkswagen and they're they're identifying that as a test. <laughs> yeah. Yes, just returning a random number that's less <laughs> than the the base number. So I think time will tell, I guess. I think we will see like huge performance gains on native Mac apps. Yeah, definitely. Um, it sort of ties in what we spoke about last yeah. week, but a lot of apps now are built on Electron and cross-platform solutions. Will they really be able to benefit from yeah. from this hardware? I guess we'll probably see a little bump, but it might not be as dramatic as if you launched an app that was totally native. Yeah. And I, I guess for most people, I mean, setting aside the fact that we position ourselves as developers and we're special, but for most people, they never use anywhere near all of their processor anyway. So like your standard desktop uh, PC or a, or a laptop is, is much more powerful yes, than we yeah. really need for most people. So if, if, it saves, if it saves on battery life, but is as performant, then uh, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah. If Basically, if you buy Macs for a web browser, they're great. If you buy for anything more than a web browser, maybe not so great right now. And to tie that into that, if you are buying a Mac as a web browser, I would recommend getting an iPad instead. I mean, it's Christmas time, so yeah. you know I think all nerds <laughs> at Christmas time start to get the support desk opens. You know, what should I buy? You know, what iPhone should I get? What watch should I buy? What iPad do I need? Or oh, what computer should I get? My default answer now is get an iPad. Oh, but but I want to use Mine a keyboard and mouse. Well. And I go, yeah, but you can use a keyboard and mouse now. Oh, but does it run Microsoft Word? Of course it does, and it's really good at running Microsoft Word. So that's my, my new default response. So why would somebody buy a laptop that is running the same processor as the iPad? Now, it's slightly different, but pretty close. Yeah. I'm not an Apple fanboy, as you know, uh, <laughs> at all, but I would still recommend anyone that's not doing anything tech-related just buy an iPad. It's going to do the job yeah. just as well. It's going to be portable, light, and easy to use. And you can plug in a keyboard, as you said. There's just no reason to buy a laptop. Unless you're like gaming and stuff, but even then you can game on an iPad. As long as you want to play Fortnite. Yeah. Yeah. If it's just Fortnite. Or you can play Fortnite on the in a web browser now. Yes. Apparently. Yes, oh. apparently so. How well I'll run with <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. I'm not a Fortnite player. My kids play Minecraft and my son has somehow developed an obsession with bed wars. One of those kind of break someone's bed on a server type 
game, but the version of Minecraft that you play on an iPad is not the version yeah. of Minecraft that you play on a laptop, and it frustrates him when he has to play on the, on the iPad. That's why you might need it. Hardcore gamer in the making. Yeah, there. playing Minecraft. Where's my keyboard and mouse? <laughs> <laughs> He's playing Minecraft on my uh, late 2011 13-inch MacBook Pro, and I'm thinking to myself, maybe I should get him a new one, because it's not a Retina. It's not a Retina screen laptop. But it's working perfectly well. It's like almost 10 years old and I'm, I'm disinclined to change it. Um, but I might end up getting a Windows laptop this oh, year. I'm so sorry to hear that. For Christmas, which is, yeah. We're off the Christmas card list <laughs> for Maddie now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough. Although, again, I can't decide because, you know, with Christmas presents and stuff, you look at you look at laptops and, and you go, well, I could spend 300 quid on that one. But if I spend 350, I get that and it's better. But then if I get that one, then I can spend 400 and, it, you know, it just kind of nibbles Stop. constantly. And then I'll end up spending three thousand pounds on some alienware piece of. Then three thousand pounds you pay for two really M1 MacBook Air, so you get one for yourself and one for yourself, and you can play Minecraft Bed Wars as well. Exactly. So therefore, I probably should just do that, and then get one for the girl as well. So there's three in the house, and then if I've got three M1 MacBooks, I might as well buy four. So and then if you're going to buy that, if you need that much computing power, you might as well just get <laughs> a Mac Pro for fifteen grand, yeah. and uh, just let people like log in via a terminal. That's true. Implement a timeshare, yes. implement a timeshare system, and then we're back to uh, yeah. mainframe, full circle. Okay, so let's move on. Let's talk about SQL Server makes me sad. Matthew, what's going on there? Yeah, so this uh, past couple of weeks, I've been working on um, a project which is a Spring Boot-based uh, application with a few different like uh, services. It all talks to a Postgres database, and there's some FFmpeg stuff in there as well. So it's quite a lot of moving parts, and it runs... In the cloud, it runs in AWS and it runs really well there. And it's nice. We've got some auto-scaling set up uh, based on the contents of a queue, and that's lovely. But as always, customers have requirements. And one of the requirements is it has to run on-prem as well for our lovely government friends, which poses some challenges, I guess. And then another requirement is that some of those customers are require Microsoft-only uh, products, so SQL Server, rather than using Postgres. So... We ran into this ticket, which has been pushed down the backlog continually. I guess that was a bad approach. Probably the first thing I did wrong was uh, Jira has this really nice, uh, you can right click on an issue and say bottom of backlog. And you can do that until you reach the bottom of the backlog and then you have to actually do the work. So we've reached this ticket where we have to support SQL Server. It was originally 2012, but uh, thankfully Microsoft have um, stopped support for that. So that's an e a good argument to not have to support such an old version. And I guess naively, I'm not a database expert, so naively I thought, well, it's just SQL. Like how different can it be? I thought that the structured query language was just that. It was a structured query language with a set predefined standard that everybody would adhere to, but um, some differences that have uh, come, to, come to learn. First of all, SQL Server doesn't have a Boolean type. That's the biggest trigger for me that I had to last use it. <laughs> Yes. So I don't know. I blame SQL Server because of my love for Apple and my hatred for Microsoft, but I don't think that's that fair because did Postgres just decide to introduce Boolean and ignore the bit type, which is what we have to use in SQL Server? Or I think you can use the bit type in Postgres as well. They just basically added a wrapper, you know, a sane wrapper for Booleans because every database in the world probably needs it at some yeah, point. So should Postgres take the blame there for uh, deviating from you know the, the pattern that's been set before them? Did you write your code in SQL? Is it ninety seven? Is the is the standard? Well, that's I think that's the problem. We did write it as if you know we tailored it to work with Postgres, yeah. which I guess is mistake number two. <laughs> so uh, this is where we're at. So how do you go from 
So we're using Spring Data and you can, some, some instances we're able to use the nice repositories that they provide where you just sort of name your method on your interface in a certain way and it knows by magic what to do with that. And there's sometimes you need a bit, our queries are quite complicated, so we might need to write some native SQL as well. So it's the native SQL that is, that uh, causes all the problems. Yeah, Boolean data type doesn't work. So anytime it came across the word false, it gave an error saying column false does not exist. And of course, I just yelled at the computer. Of course, it doesn't exist. It's not a column. And then the second problem was the way it handles UDs in native queries doesn't work either. So um, whenever you're using Spring Data, you can set the dialect, uh, whether it's you're talking to a Postgres database or a SQL Server database. And one of them treats UDs as a binary object, and the other one treats it as a string. And it doesn't know what to do whenever it hits that database. So whenever you try to query objects, whenever you try to use a native query to pull objects out from SQL Server, it just returns nothing because it can't find anything with the same UID. But it's because the way that UID is represented is wrong. So it's getting like just like a junk query, which doesn't throw any errors. It just returns nothing, which was a wee bit worrying. Um, so I've had to go through. And thankfully, you know, we are good developers here and still. So we have a lot of integration tests, a lot of integration tests that we're able to just point the SQL Server and run them and go through them and fix our repositories. So because we're using Spring, we can define a different type of repository based on the profile that you're using. So whenever SQL Server is in use, it just injects a different repository, which makes the same interface as the underlying Postgres one, but just changes what the native query does. So we have to go and obviously replace false with zeros and true with ones and change how it handles UDs as well. So cast it down to a string for SQL Server as well. So it was a sad period. So how much more code did you have to write? Quite a lot. I had to essentially duplicate most of our repositories anywhere. So when I say repository, I mean the repository, the Spring Data repository. So I had to duplicate most of them and provide different implementations for any anything that used a native query. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a database expert. Most of the databases I've used in my career have been NoSQL. So mainly MongoDB is what I've got the most experience in. Although whenever I was a grad, I was on a project which used SQL Server and Microsoft Dynamics and SharePoint. And I've said to my team today that I've come full circle and I don't know where I went wrong to get back to this place. You know, career progression, I just, I've just started from the beginning again and I don't know how to get out. Please send help, please. Yeah, but the second time around, you'll know where the bodies are buried, hopefully. So, you know, you, you should be more capable and confident this time around. <laughs> yeah, you'd think so. But uh, <laughs> that's not what happened. I just uh, scream at my VirtualBox instance. I don't know. I guess, like, I'm an Apple fanboy, which sort of paints my perspective and everything. But I just think Windows is very, very poor. As a user experience, I just find it horrible to, to live in. For the past, like, two weeks, I've been using... Uh, well, it's Windows Server 2012, which I guess doesn't help, but it's just incredibly painful to get anything done. Yeah. My first proper job was working for the marketing department of university. And my job was to manage an access database. And we had uh, the first sort of big project that actually I was working with was, was migrating the back end of that access database off an access file on a shared drive somewhere, which broke like on a daily basis to SQL Server. So, you know, I, that was back in, that was back in 2003-ish. And that was like the first proper experience of a proper server. And SQL Server then was was nice because I'd only ever played with MySQL and PHP MyAdmin, which was actually very unpleasant. But yeah, the management console for SQL Server back then was pretty good. But I'm, I'm, I suspect that it's one of those things that hasn't updated. Yeah. It's probably the same today as it was then. It was amazing then and then yeah. fell behind the times. It's still, yeah. 
I'm still, I mean, whenever I opened up SQL Server Management Studio, I was like, oh, here we go. I remember this. Um, to be honest, it does what I needed it to do. I need to be able to look at the structure of the database and then queries. And it does that just fine. There's a few things I had to tweak with, you know, just setting it up to just get things to, to work nicely with our project and required a bit of Googling. But other than that, it was fine. I don't think it's any, it's no worse or no better than PG Admin, I would say. The database itself doesn't offend me too much. It was just, you know, why doesn't SQL just work in both places? That was, that yeah. was the part that annoyed me the most. That's what I was wondering. Are, are you kind of ruined because Postgres has kind of like tried to become more modern in a way? And that's kind of ruined you in a way. It's all those convenience, like UUIDs, for example. You know, Postgres, you do have to install a plugin for it, but it works really well and you don't have to think about it. Well, I imagine with SQL Server, it was probably nothing equivalent. It has a data type called Unique Identifier, which is pretty close. It's just yeah. a I know it's still, it just it's a, still a U, or? but... Um, Microsoft call it a good. So if any of you know the difference between a good and a good, please enlighten me. One's global, one's universal. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. <laughs> there, there is a difference in like how you generate them, I think. But yeah, they're effectively the same thing. So Microsoft will not be ready for space. So there must be no SQL Server in space. That's true. ISS has to use Postgres. Yeah, because it's universally unique. Mm-hmm. I, must be a, I, must have been, I must have been where Postgres were heading to the moon. And beyond to infinity and beyond, <laughs> I still find it in my heart to blame Microsoft in some way. Well, how how I do that, I'm not sure, but it's just in me. I can't can't get it out. Microsoft, they're making some nice strides with the developer community, I think, and um, which is annoying for me because Apple seems to be doing the opposite, it's releasing OS versions that, like the day after they're announced and things like that. It just seems a little bit hostile towards developers, whereas Microsoft are embracing them, which is a bitter pill for me to swallow. How can I hate yeah, you? It's not right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me hate you. <laughs> cool. We'll wrap up there and uh, we'll come back next week for new topics. And maybe we'll see both of you or maybe we'll see somebody else. Who knows? Yeah, we'll, do a, we'll do an outro. Will we? I don't know. Do you want to sing a song? No. Neil, I thought you were going to prepare something for us. I'm not a singer. I just, I just spam notes. <laughs>